York City. This is Film Spotting, streaming video unit. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer, and I'm bidding you willkommen, bienvenue. Welcome to this episode in which we're going to talk not about Bob Fosse's 1972 cabaret. I, I figured you would work that yeah. in somehow. Come on. But a new series that also happens to be set in Berlin during the Weimar Republic, Babylon Berlin, co-created by Tom Tickfer and streaming on Netflix. Babylon Berlin is set several years before Hitler rose to power in 1929, the Roaring 20s. And in honor of one of the two main characters, a party girl, occasional sex worker, and aspiring homicide detective played by Liv Lisa Fries, uh, we thought maybe we'll devote the other half of this episode to the flapper on screen. You know, we'd rouge our knees, drink some bathtub gin, do a Charleston. Sadly... We then got into a bitter fight about which of us would get to break into the episode to perform some dramatic selections from William Luce's one woman play, The Last Flapper. Allison, I was always meant to play Zelda Fitzgerald. Ah, you keep saying that, Matt, but show me the character work. <laughs> it's the pictures that got small. <laughs> So instead, we're going to talk about some movies set in Berlin, also all available to rent or stream. Stick around for that. First, let's talk Babylon Berlin. Gary and Rath from Cologne. I have been told that our mutual friend is doing business on the side. He's ambitious, dogged, a ferret. I'll deal with it. What happened? Can you hear me? Breathe in very deeply. In and out. Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit is, as it says on the package, a podcast about movies and television series that are available to stream. It's also a podcast in which we let you tell us what we should review. At the end of every episode, we give you three different films or series that are on streaming, and then we let you vote uh, as to which one of them you would like to hear us talk about. Last time we went with TV. It's been a while since we've done some TV. Uh, with three recent series, which the chances are actually pretty good, if unless you pay a lot of attention to your streaming services, you haven't even heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks to this very crowded moment of peak TV. They were the German series Babylon Berlin, which is on Netflix. The Sean Bean starring British crime drama The Frankenstein Chronicles, which is also on Netflix. And The Looming Tower... Hulu's impressively cast series about the FBI and the CIA in the years leading up to 9-11. And Babylon Berlin easily walked away with the win, maybe as befits what is reportedly the most expensive non-English language series ever made. Mm. Uh, Babylon Berlin was produced by Sky One in Germany, uh, and as I mentioned before, was co-created by filmmaker Tom Tickver, who set many of his other films in Berlin, including Run, Lola, Run. It's based on a series of mystery novels by Volker Kutcher, uh, though having watched, uh, I will say fair warning, five and a little bit of the 16 episodes that are currently available on Netflix. There are two seasons, though Netflix just lists it as one long season. <laughs> just put them all up. Just put them all up. Uh, and I have full intentions, I will say right now, of keeping going, but it's been a very busy week uh, under my belt. Uh, is it, it will be fair to say that this series begins uh, being as much about its time and place as it is about the many conspiracies it starts laying out. Among them is a train filled with Russian gold and a stolen pornographic film. Yep. Uh, 
this is in part, it feels, because the setting is so intricately realized. Uh, and in a way that's meant to be very lived in looking, uh, the Berlin of the series feels equal parts grand and grubby from the halls of the police headquarters where inspector Gary and Rath, who's one of the main characters played by Volker Bruch arrives to work from, from Cologne to the squalid apartment that Lotta, who is one of the other two main characters played by Liv Lisa Fries shares with her family. So I've seen various writers, just looking at some of the coverage of this, compare Babylon Berlin to Fassbinder's Berlin Alexanderplatz, to quote-unquote cabaret on cocaine, okay, and even to The Wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Matt, I have also seen you tweeting. Uh-oh. And I have seen you That's compare never good. to other Netflix series in general, mm-hmm. in that you felt it was too slow to get going, suffering from that dreaded Netflix bloat. Even if it's not technically a Netflix production, it's an acquisition. Mm. So how many episodes did you watch? And did you still feel that way at the end of those episodes? Well, the funny thing is, to my shock and surprise, I watched five episodes. I've watched the same amount as you. So, um, yeah, I there are things to like about this show, but there's nothing wrong with it. They couldn't be fixed if it had been like an eight episode total series instead of a 16 episode series. I realize that's two seasons. Maybe Netflix could have actually just released the first eight and then waited six months and then released the second eight. I don't know why they would dump them all so simultaneously. I guess they, they feel have them. they have them yeah. and they're there's they, they're not running out of content, so they might as well throw <laughs> them all up. That's their new slogan. Netflix, we threw it all up there. Um, yeah, there are things to like about this show. I did feel watching it that it was glaci- glacially paste mm. like um i didn't feel like anything interesting happened until the end of the second episode there's a very interesting sequence that ends the second episode yes um and that that's set that's set in multiple places but a lot of it is set in this the cabaret sort of location this this dance club where the flappers go to dance and and there's also like an underground sex club as part of it right where prostitutes are dwelling and doing weird funky german sex things <laughs> And there's also, at the same time, there's communists who are being murdered. I thought that sequence was fabulous. And and I was like, okay, now it's getting good. And then, like, I watched three more episodes after that, and I didn't see anything that even came close to matching that in terms of, like, the, I don't know, the intensity, the interest, the uh, the technical dexterity in terms of the way it's cutting back and forth between, like, three different storylines all at once. And I just felt in general, like you mentioned, that there's all these different plots and subplots. And that's why probably where the wire comparison comes from, which I could see. I just did. I didn't find most of them equally interesting. I thought the most interesting character was uh, Lata, who's like sure. this sex worker who also wants to become a homicide detective in 1920s Germany. I was like, this is the most interesting character. We should be following her primarily, and all these other, or, or at the very least, she should be the main character. Whereas she's probably the second character or maybe the third character. I would say she's the second. And that seems fair to me to say she's the second. I guess, I guess she's the second, but I also felt like the communist guy who I didn't care about at all. Got a lot of screen time. Sure. With his ridiculous, almost like borderline unkillable run from the law. Like he keeps <laughs> horrible things. Yeah, but he but he's keeps surviving. I, I just felt like, you could maybe make a stronger sh- – I guess if – I'm sure someone's going to write it. They'll be like, well, if you watched all 16 episodes, it all comes together. But it's like 
a father of two with a full-time job does not have the time to watch this is what i tweeted it's just like this show is not made for me this show is made for someone who literally has 16 hours to sit down over a period of a week or two and and just engorge themselves on this impressively made very uh exceedingly well production designed uh german period piece I do like it more than you. I think quite a bit more than you. But I feel like I will say this to your point about I do. I, I agree that it takes a while to have something that feels like a kind of decisive step forward in terms of the action. But I think that's in part because it lays out it seeds so many different clearly like complicated stories that we haven't come close to in five episodes seeing the resolution of. Right. I don't know. I like for me, I get really, really impatient with a lot of Netflix series. I have. I don't know if I've watched any of the Marvel superhero series to the end of any of their seasons. Mm-hmm. I just find them so un- like there are whole episodes in them that just feel unnecessary that like they like they arbitrarily handed out an episode count and then they tried to make whatever story they had for fit. sure. And I think that's true. Uh, you know, watching other things like Bloodlines, I think that was another series where I was just like, I don't understand how you can have three episodes of intro, basically. And I didn't feel that way quite with this. Mm-hmm. I will say it made me think more of uh, something like Deadwood, actually. Okay. Where the first few episodes of Deadwood, I re- which I think is maybe my favorite television show of all time, uh, I really struggled with. I really like. I thought it was so kind of like aggressive. It introduced you to so many characters. It didn't suggest it. Like, yeah, it set a lot of things in motion without coming anywhere near like giving you resolution or even like forward motion on a lot of them. Uh, but then it became, I think, this kind of like really teeming, fascinating show about a community and about the ways in which different people – that was like very deliberately decentralized. And I don't think that this show is that decentralized. I do think it has two main characters. But I do feel like it is trying to be – and I think this is as much as like anything that ever gets compared to The Wire. That's like – it's like the most like – I don't know – like loaded compliment of all time and usually the one that I don't believe but that it is attempting to be about like a jo- like a community for whatever it's worth at this particular time and place and a really complicated one in which no one seems to have the moral high ground all of the characters seem to have uh you know like any any character side comes with various compromises mm. uh, and I appreciated that um but yeah I I, I think that like the the dance the song number the that you mentioned which is the obvious highlight of the first five yeah. episodes it should have come in that first episode yes uh, like I, I just feel like that should have been the climax of the first episode yes um yeah I mean what you're saying is is fair I I guess to me the difference between some of those shows I mean I love Deadwood also and The Wire is magnificent and the difference uh, between Babylon Berlin um, and those shows to me. Um, is dialogue. Now, part of that is unfair to Babylon Berlin. For all I know, the German dialogue of this show is magnificent. <laughs> but the translation of that dialogue is just translation. Sure. It doesn't have the same, like... It doesn't have the poetry. It doesn't have the poetry. The it doesn't have poetry or something like Deadwood. Or The Wire. The Wire has magnificent sure. dialogue also. So you don't get that. I mean, that's the thing that those shows have, even when, I agree, they're not super tightly plotted always. I will say The Wire... 
to me, was a show that every single episode had, even when there was each season had its own overarching story, that show was paced for television. And sure. so every hour had something happen. Every hour ended with some kind of cliffhanger where, I mean, that was a show that I actually binge watched when that meant going, running to Kim's video before I even worked there at like, I like racing there before they closed to get the next disc because uh-huh. you could not wait to find out what happened on disc five of season two. Like that was a real thing. Whereas this show is, it's good. I'm not trying to say it's bad. It's very well made. You can tell they spent a lot of money. It looks magnificent. Uh, the cast is good. But but an episode ends and you're just like, oh, all right, I guess we're, you know, if you're not paying attention to like the runtime of an episode, there's no, there's no like sort of arc or sure, flow sure. to an episode. Which is like a modern TV problem. Yes. It feels like problem. it's paced at the pitch of like an eight hour movie, not seven one hour pieces of entertainment. Yeah, I agree. I sort of agree with you. I think the first three episodes for sure, you're like, they, they could, you could have a stop time basically any time in them. Uh, but I do feel like by the fourth episode a bit, and then by the fifth episode, certainly. Like, the fifth episode ends with, I think, what's probably the other highlight of these first five, which is that the two characters who have been kind of doing their own thing, and you've been waiting for them to yeah. come together <laughs> yes, for a are, while. Yes, you are waiting. It uh, takes, it they, takes they, several episodes. Yes, they do finally, with some complications on both of their sides, kind of pair up for a bit. And, and it is, like, I think it is very satisfying. Like, you can see they each like kind of appreciate each other in these certain ways and surprise each other. Uh, and they and then they go to this club that is like a gender bending, uh, super fun looking nightclub and, mm. and then proceed to dance. Uh, and, and I think that like that felt like an, a, a kind of discreet episode at that point. Yeah. Like, that felt like something was accomplished at the end of that episode. But yes, I, I do feel like, We've watched just enough to see the show maybe like just start to get into the swing of things. Right. And then, I mean, it's, it's and that classic stopped. Netflix yeah. thing where it's like, well, if you hang around with it for six hours, it starts to get really good. And at this show, I don't know if it's, I would even say that, but it certainly takes a, a while. I mean, if you, you almost can't even watch just the first episode, you kind of right. have to watch the, the second, two. Ep- the first yeah, two together. I would agree. Because that second episode is the only one that I thought really has like a really intense, great sequence it ends with a good cliffhanger it has it has a lot of you know just just more visceral it's like to me a bit when i sit when i think of binge watching i need i need some so i need a little bit more of a hook in terms of story or at least like i said like the like something like the dialogue has to be so just something you want to bite your teeth into because it's so poetic even if it's profane or something and that again Maybe we'll get a, a German listener will write in and say, you're not appreciating it because you can't speak German. I mean, that there, is very possible. There are parts like I just I was watching just before I came here, like the start of the sixth episode. Uh-huh. And there is a part in it literally where they they talk about uh, one of the characters says something and the other character remarks on how he's using the subjunctive. Mm. And they says the other one says, yes, the German language. It's such a miracle. <laughs> so to this point. Right. Uh, I, I would agree that there are certainly things that we're not picking up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say uh, I, I do feel like to... In a certain way that could, like, I think is a fault a bit. The show does feel, like, so smitten with its recreation of 1929 Berlin yeah. that those first two episodes are a bit burdened by that. Yeah, and maybe. I do think it's impressive. Like, totally. the ways in which, I, and weirdly, like, the thing that stood out to me is, like, Lotta's apartment. Like, this crowded mm. apartment uh, in a poor neighborhood. And just the way in which she does, like, uh, this very hasty, has, having stayed up all night, this very hasty bath in the sink, mm. uh, and then changes and makes herself like respectable before going to her day job, which is scrounging for typing work at the police headquarters. Right. And just like the kind of, uh, 
like the practicality of all of that, but also just the sense you have of like how little room there is in this in this home for how many people are living there. Totally. I thought was like pretty evocative. I mean, like I said, far and away, I thought she was the most interesting character. I would have loved to have seen more of her. I mean, the flip side of it, comparing it to something like The Wire or whatever, is that, I mean, some of that stuff does feel a little familiar, like the police work and all that. Granted, it's a new setting we haven't seen, and we we don't understand the world of the German police, and and obviously this is a very complicated system and a a world that we're diving into. Like uh, that... You know, I was like reading up on some of the period just because to understand some of what's going on. But you have this, like the the one responsible, the woman responsible for the big dance number, who is a a Russian countess and spy. Yeah, you know, and then you have the Stalinists, you have the communists rising up in this town, and then you have like other forces at work who are kind of like I just like the politics of it are uh, multi sided. Right. What I was going to say though was that the the police stuff just feels a little flat and familiar to me. Just, th- just in terms of like, oh, they're dirty cops and they're they're you know exploiting people and they're you know they're covering up crimes and uh, it just seemed like things we had seen very much before, even if this is a, is a, a new setting. Versus the the lot of character, I don't know. Her character to me felt fresher and more unusual, and 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 also you know getting to go into that world of of the the nightclub. You know, like I said, like that that world is so joyful, and I get it. Part of this this show is about showing this sort of all the different sides of this place. But the the the, the show just springs to life, or springs to like weird, creepy, decadent, freak out <laughs> mode anytime it goes in that place. And then when they leave, you just the the whole thing kind of sinks a little bit. So again, in terms of like giving something that you really like or enjoy or are drawn into when you're literally investing five, six hours of your life, or double that at least it's like give me a little more of that excitement give me a little more of the interesting stuff the sure, weird sure. stuff I, 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 that is also something that i felt like i yes i was also not as invested like by any means in the police stuff uh compared the, to the main character wrath i just i had him a little little in the beginning i feel like by the end of those five episodes i was like maybe you know be, the fact when he didn't do fact, much he didn't do much for me i gotta oh, be honest i feel like uh, so oh, we haven't talked about him much but gary and wrath is supposed to be this uh, he has PTSD, which yeah. is hiding because the general impression of PTSD, people are very scornful about it, it right. seems to be. Uh, and so he's self-medicating with morphine. Yes. Uh, a lot of morphine. A lot of morphine. He's a Catholic. Mm-hmm. He's uh, related to someone powerful. Yes. Uh, and so, which is like part of the reason he's been sent on this errand uh, from from another town to Berlin, right. from Cologne to Berlin. And he's investigating this this like missing like pornography film, which it could be another very interesting plot thread, but the literally the 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 breadcrumb of the clues is like so minute, so infinitesimal the progress he makes slowly bit by bit. It's, by right. bit. It's hard it's to keep very frustrating. Well, it's also hard to keep track of. I'm like yes. I lose I'm like I can't even yeah. remember where we are. The painting, that. the the painting with the horse is the important horse, now. Right. Yeah. And we're still not really sure what powerful person is involved with this yes. uh, film that like right. yeah so they're he's tracking this including up to uh into a movie studio where executives are watching a film starring as he's like who is that and they're like dietrich marlena dietrich <laughs> cretin um which i did enjoy um i i did find him a little boring he's like this very handsome kind of uh like guy who also looks like he has consumption um which you know i like that's your look okay <laughs> but uh but he's he's a little boring i think i think until like uh the episode where he finally meets up with lotta 
And I, they, they, like, he has, like, this per, a bit of a personality suddenly. Like, they're sparring a bit. Yes. It's not necessarily quite flirty so much as just, like, charged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they, like, the fact that he asks her to dance and she is surprised. Mm-hmm. She is as shocked as I feel like we were supposed to be. Like, he right. would never. Like, I really, I liked that. That, like, you, you, it kind of, the fact that, like, the, the, show built in at least some of that underestimating of him or like assumptions of him yeah uh it made me at least think that he wouldn't feel like the annoying vacant spot in the center of this series forever like he's i no, was i was by the end of that a bit more invested he's in no him. mcnulty i'm sorry he's no if, we're, McNulty. if we're doing a wire comparison no, okay, he yes. is mcnulty and he is no mcnulty Right. I will. Yes. Absolutely. Even though he is a good dancer. I'll he give you that. He is a good dancer. He is also, I think, he is an unavoidable center of this. He is the the books that this, these are based on, or at least they're based on the first book in this series, are the Volker Brooch uh, detective series. Chronicles. Yes, the mysteries. So uh-huh. so he is... Uh, he, he is the main character. Oh, yeah. Or, sorry, the Gary and Wrath. Volker Brooch is, uh, it's the actor. is the actor. Yeah. The Gary and Wrath mysteries. So, yeah. um, and it goes up, I guess, through into, like... Uh, the war. Mm. Um, yeah, I would say, like, I would agree. Lata is, like, much more interesting and unpredictable a character yes. uh, than he is, at least in this. So uh, far. So but far. again, we, you, and you, 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 you've you watched five hours of something. You should have a, and, and, and if that first season is only eight episodes, we've watched more than half of the first season. So I think we, I feel like we should have a pretty good handle on what it is. I mean, it's it's funny, like that, like the fact that it took like over half of the first season for them to meet up is certainly, I think, a legitimate frustration. Yeah. Um, but I did like them together so much, and I'm like, okay, fine. Like this is something that I do want to see more of. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's the conspiracies going on and the political machinations are so already so kind of like complicated. That I sort of given up following them. Yeah, that's a that side of the show. I I'm guessing plays better for a German audience. That was the vibe I got. Was or that maybe yeah, or maybe also everyone finds it deeply complicated. <laughs> maybe maybe I don't know. I, I the, that stuff I found a lot less. Um, I don't know, satisfying than yeah the uh, Lata's storyline, and then yeah the, the the porn the the missing porn film storyline is 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 good if they would I don't know focus on it a little more. But yeah, all the stuff with the different factions of communists and stalinites and trotskyites yeah. and the gold and the it's all worth it though at least as we get to see the C- countess svetlana in a mustache she is <laughs> like, pretty uh, and she's she another is, character who's fascinating character. that really we just don't that we see a lot of, of. Yeah. yeah well so i guess that brings us to the big question which is are you do you see yourself watching more of this show i could have seen myself finishing it again if i didn't have two kids sure and like uh i mean right now i'm not watching a lot of television in general and like where the, the 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 younger baby, not to unburden myself on you, Allison, but the, let me tell you about babies sleeping and the four month <laughs> sleep regression. We're just not getting a lot of like sleep right now, and we're not getting that thing where we put the kids to bed and then hang out for an hour or right. two and watch something together like we used to. I could see if we had um, if we had that time. Yeah, I could see us at least trying to get through the end of the first season yeah. and then reassessing at that point. I mean, I am sort of curious, but I, the way things are right now, I'm not going to immediately dive into it. And it's probably going to be so long that if I'm being honest, by the time I think about it, I'll have forgotten it. And sure. I'll probably turn on the sixth episode in not three and a half months uh-huh. and go, who is this guy? Oh, her. Yeah. I remember Lata. She's really good. Yeah. The woman with the mustache. Wait, who is this one? Which, which, which communist, which side is he on? And I probably will be too confused, even though I did appreciate that each episode had a previously on, yes. which not every, I mean, most Netflix shows don't have that. 
Um, so I did appreciate that on this because, you know, if I went three days without watching one, it was helpful to have that. Um, yeah, I have a feeling, I'm sure you're, you were, but you're going to watch it. I could tell. I'm going to watch it. And you'll yeah. tell me, you'll tell me if it gets really you. good, if it gets really good and you say, oh, it gets a lot better. Yeah. Maybe I will, maybe I will finish it. Uh, I'm not dying to finish it. Wow, I feel such power. You do have a lot of power here. All right. Well, that is Babylon Berlin, and you can stream it on Netflix. All righty. Let's talk about some films that are set in Berlin. Allison, do you have any general thoughts you want to say, first of all? Berlin's a pretty uh, cinematic town. Indeed. It's a pretty cinematic city. Or televisual, I guess, since yes, we just watched televisual. the TV show. I, yeah, I will say that. Like, it's... Uh, both in in terms of like convenient thematic things, I, both of my film are uh, both of the films that I picked. I think are in I think they said in divided Berlin, and that certainly seems to be like yes. you know a, a handy thematic element for a lot of things. Yes, it, in addition to being like just a uh, like you know massive element of the town of the city at the time. Yes, it seems to be a very it's a, a, a I sort of hate the cliche of saying well the the the. The city, the location is almost an, a character in the film. Right. But that does seem to be kind of true of, of a lot of – like Berlin is a very good place to do that. Like it's a very photogenic place. It's a – it's got a lot of character it seems. I've never been there. Maybe this is a good – like I, maybe I'll go first here and just segue right in because this is something that I was thinking about watching my first pick is that I've never been to Ber- Berlin. So it's a place I only know from fiction. Uh, yeah, okay. Movies and television shows. Yeah, sure. And so, like, it's a real place that I only understand as a fictional place. And as a fictional place, it is, you know, it's really mostly a, 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 about period. I mean, Babylon Berlin is set between World War One and World War Two. It's a lot of World War II, uh films and then also a lot of Cold War um, films. As you said, it's like a particularly popular place, I find, I, for Cold War stuff because it is – the divided city, east and west, and it does serve a certain metaphorical purpose. And it also just makes for great drama, too. Like, that there are just, like, there's, like, a wall, and you literally, if you cross over it, you die. Like, yeah. that's just instantly, like, good. That's just the stuff that, like, screenwriting is just <laughs> made for. Um, and so my first pick is kind of, I feel like, a, is, a, is a, a, a film that really captures all of that stuff all at once. This This idea of Berlin is this... This dangerous place, a scary place, and also this kind of oddly beautiful or oddly romantic place all at the same time. And it is Atomic Blonde from just last year, starring starring Charlize Theron as a British spy sent to Berlin to retrieve an all-important MacGuffin. I think it's a list of spies, but it honestly doesn't matter yeah, at I all. Yeah, I couldn't remember half like when when you started talking about it. It's like I don't remember what she was looking for. Yeah, I think it's place. a list of spies. But on, I mean, rarely in a in a recent movie have I been less sort of clear on what is going on, who is working for whom, what the objectives are, why they matter, and less upset about any of that. Like I didn't know, and I honestly didn't care. It's just like this incredibly atmospheric film. And a big part of the atmosphere is Berlin. I mean, it opens in Berlin. Instantly, you have this very evocative place. It is gray. It is cold. It is snowing. The walls are covered with graffiti and pasted up posters. And immediately, a guy's on the run. And everyone seems to be a spy or working for a spy or they're working for the government. They can't be trusted. Um, you know, like if I ever go to Berlin, which 
is a possibility I find increasingly remote. I mean, I literally don't have time to go to the grocery store or watch Babylon Berlin, so I'm definitely Some, not going someday, to someday. Definitely not going to your real children Berlin. Will not be uh, a baby and a toddler. No, I doubt it. But anyway, I, I would be honestly, if I ever did go, I would be disappointed a little bit if it wasn't the city of atomic blonde and i recognize this is a period film it's set in 1989 it's a long ways off but just like the the neon colors and the atmosphere of this place in this film uh it's really sort of a fun world to just dive into and be a part of for you know an hour and 45 minutes it's it's a perfect setting for a mystery spy thriller because you know like i was thinking about this like the whole Cold War aspect, like it is a cold – it just feels cold. The place feels cold. Yeah. It's like the Cold War came to life in this place and the the weather is just very cooperative to that. It's always snowy or gray. It's like you have to be tough to survive in this city. And the other thing I was thinking is that I guess it's not specific to Berlin, but the most famous scene in the film is this incredible fight scene that takes place in this this – apartment building and it like goes up and down this uh apartment building and i guess maybe it's not technically a a german style or a berlin style but it's very european the way that this building is laid out with this big stairwell this open stairwell layout that goes into these apartments which the, the fight is all one very long take and it goes you know down the stairs and into an apartment and out of the apartment and out onto the street and it's like I could just imagine the director, David Leach, who's also one of the guys responsible for the John Wick movies, so you know the action is going to be good. Just, I don't know, location scouting and finding, like, this old, bleak, communism-era building and, and saying, like, oh, we could do something with this. There, this. This building has character. This building has space to do a kind of a crazy fight scene. And it really is one of the best fight action scenes uh, in recent memory. And so, yeah, I mean, even if you don't like the rest of the movie, even if you are a little confused by the plot and you wish it made a little more sense, even if the ending is a little a little uh, underwhelming or disappointing, like there's no way that you could watch this movie and be disappointed by that sequence. It's an absolute showstopper. And, yeah, it's a great, like, Berlin movie. Sure. So it, it Also, by the way, it, it towards the end, it features a character quoting this, like, talking about past history and saying, it played this crooked game in this crooked town filled with backstabbers, et cetera, et cetera, and then declaring, I bleeping love Berlin. Mm-hmm. It is, like, one of the climactic speeches of right. the movie. Yeah. Uh, and you love it, too, even though it seems like a place, at least if you were a spy, where you would die horribly. Right. Um, as you do. But it would be fun. It would be fun. Yeah. You'd probably get some really cool clothes. Yes, you'd get to – yes. You'd look fabulous. You would look fabulous. Your hair would be amazing. <laughs> yes. If, yeah, you would probably have some really nice-looking drinks. Right. Yes. Yeah. It would be fantastic. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, for my first pick, I'm going to break one of our generally held rules since this film is – not as far as I can tell, legally available <gasps> in any easy way in the U.S. Um, <gasps> not only it's not on streaming, uh, it's not on like it's out of print on DVD. So if you try and buy it on Region One DVD on Amazon, there are a few left, and they're like ninety dollars. Um, so I'm going to point you to YouTube for this. Uh, that is the place to watch Christiana F, uh, which is a 1981 film directed by Uli Adel. Uh, set in West Berlin in the 70s, um, and a, a movie that is not set in an outsized, fabulous, atomic blonde-style Berlin, but a gritty, gritty and realistic one. Uh, yeah, at the same time, I think it 
speaks to how a lot of the the either stylized or realistic depiction of depictions of Berlin on screen uh, tend to be this combination of like yes like chilliness and romanticization and decadence and then brutalism and in this case Christiana F is a uh, it's about the the title character who's like a 13 year old 14 year old girl um, who lives in this really fabulously horrible looking housing complex in Berlin with her mother and her stepfather who she does not like. And she's unhappy. She's bored. She ventures to this nightclub. Uh, you know, uh, Babylon Berlin is not the only series that will, ta- or property that we'll talk about that has a very prominent nightclub in the middle of it. This one is called sound and it's a disco and she uh you know gets uh her friend passes her off as older than she is and they they sneak in and she meets all kinds of new people including a boy that she falls in love with uh who is like a lot of these kids dabbling in drugs this is an addiction story it is about heroin uh and i think that there are aspects of it that become very uh cautionary tale ish it's kind of like uh berlin's answer to, answer to a panic in needle park mm. But it's also very much just a movie about bored teenagers. And in that way, I, there's some like kind of lushness to it that I love. Uh, it, you know, so much of the Berlin it's set in is like just filled with this concrete, brutalist architecture and this like kind of like looming, bleak buildings. And yet at the same time, there's this wonderful beauty to it. Um, and to it's just like so much of the mindset of its characters is not like the mindset of people who are like, uh, even though they do get into desperate straits, like throwing themselves down into this like desperation of addiction. So much of it is just about being like a lonely teenager who does things because you don't want to be left out. And Christiana, uh, is this, she's, uh, the actress who plays her is like, uh, I think her name was, uh, Nadja Brunkhorst, uh, is, I think about the age of the character is painfully young and, uh, you know, does all of these things in terms of experimenting with sex and drugs that I think would not be allowed to even be shot, uh, these days. But, um, it makes it all of the more kind of painful to watch, but also convincing because she just seems like such a plausible teenage girl, uh, who gets lonely and who gets, uh, who really wants to belong in places. And that leads her into dabbling with heroin, dabbling with shooting heroin, dabbling with prostitution. Uh, These are all bad dabbles. Yes. In order to fund her habit, you know, uh, and I, I like so much of it is uh, in addition about this kind of drug scene at the time, which uh, was clustered around one of the big train stations in Berlin. And it features hugely in the movie. It's this giant, like, uh, unforgettable looking but also kind of like really depressing looking train station where all of these uh people kind of wander it's where they you know uh it's a kind of a center of sex work it's a center of like dealing drugs they use the bathrooms there to shoot up um and it becomes to repeat the cliche a kind of character of itself in the movie but uh, you know i think that while I find like addiction narratives really grueling as I guess they're kind of supposed to be. I really appreciated the ways in this one was still so grounded in just being a teen story and sometimes having this kind of like really bleak poetry to it. The first time Christiana shoots up, uh, she kind of nods out in the backseat of a car as they're driving and as driving to a club and 
the lights as they go through a tunnel kind of flicker on and off her face. And it's just this remarkable shot. And there's so much of that that I think is just so specific to the kind of industrial nature of the the neighborhoods they're frequenting. Uh, the contrast between feeling just like like these huge emotions of being a teenager and this is really bleak surroundings, I think are really striking. And I didn't even mention uh, David Bowie not only did like the soundtrack for this, uh, Bowie who kind of ensconced himself in Berlin in the seventies and had a, like a kind of great creative period there. He also appears in the movie in concert as himself. Mm. They go to a David Bowie concert. It's where I think she tries heroin for the first time. Sounds about right. Yeah. And so, and he like emerges on stage, like out of this kind of smoke. And it is just like such a great, like tribute to Bowie's presence um, there's even a scene where early on she she stands in front of a Bowie poster where it's announcing him in town, and there's just a series of these like giant wheat pasted posters, and she looks at them, and then uh, his music swells. Uh, and you know, I was thinking about this when watching Mute, uh, Duncan Jones's oh, movie, God. which I did not think was particularly successful. No, Although it's kind of mesmerizingly not successful. <laughs> Um, that's but that's very so much of, of you. So, so much of that movie, which is on Netflix, uh, is according to the director, who is Bowie's son, uh, about David Bowie's Berlin. And I think that if you're going to watch a movie about David Bowie's Berlin, there is one that is very specifically about David Bowie's Berlin, and this would be it. Christiana F., which you can find on YouTube. Uh, I haven't seen that film. Sounds like a perfect pick for this subject. I'm looking the director, Uli Adele. Yeah. Do you, does that name mean anything to you? Do you know what else Uli Adele directed? He directed a bunch of things, right? Oh, Body of Evidence. Body of yeah. Evidence. The infamous uh, floptastical uh, Madonna basic instinct, you know, sort of, uh, she was like drafting off of the basic instinct thing, like the erotic thriller boom. That was Madonna's erotic and thriller. And more, more recently directed, I'm sure a favorite of yours already, Pay the Ghost, oh. starring Nicholas Cage. Oh. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Quite a career. Well, there oh, you go. Body of Evidence, Pay the Ghost, Last Exit to Brooklyn, and also an episode of Twin Peaks. Boom. Uh, I don't think I've mentioned Atomic Blonde. My first pick is available for rent. My second pick, also available for rent. It will also uh, take you on an interesting, although in this case, modern tour of Berlin. In this case, all in a single take. It is the 2015 film Victoria from director Sebastian Schipper. And... This is not one of those films like Birdman where you have several very long takes all stitched together. So it looks like it was all done in one take. This movie is actually a legitimate 135 minute long take with no cheats. Um, like they know exactly when this movie was made. It was made on April 27th, 2014, between the hours of 4.30 and 7 a.m., which is kind of cool that you know the exact time the entire movie was made. And supposedly, they only had enough money for three tries uh, at the single-take version. They, I guess, did make a, a backup version that was you know, broken into like 10-minute segments and then would have been stitched together more like Birdman. Um, but they did at least try to do it in one long take, and they were able to get it on the third out of three tries. The title character is a Spanish woman living in Berlin. She works in a cafe, seemingly doesn't have any friends or very much going on. And the film begins late, late at night in an underground dance club 
in uh, Berlin. Apparently, Berlin is big for the under the the dance clubs. It seems the, to be very like a discotheque. Again, of some this sort. is like the yeah. my my conception of of Berlin as defined by fiction is like literally every building underneath it. There is this amazing. Very stylishly lit underground uh, techno dance club. And so anyway, this is where Victoria, we we meet dancing um, and follows her as she leaves, um, meets a couple of guys, starts wandering through Berlin with them. And these early scenes where they're kind of wandering and talking and getting to know each other and she starts to sort of become attracted to one of the guys in this group, definitely a little reminiscent of Before Sunrise. Um, But before we know it, it turns out these guys are mixed up with some underworld types and suddenly she is the getaway driver uh, in a bank robbery and things get even worse from there. And to me, that was sort of the main negative issue with the film. It is one take, and so this woman has to go very quickly from just sort of this, you know, sort of curious outsider uh, woman who's alone and maybe interested in a guy to, like, an accomplice to armed robbery. And some of the decisions that she and the other characters make are kind of tough to accept because of the incredibly short time frame. But... While you could do this movie with cuts or, I don't know, stretch out the storyline, I guess, and it could still work, what the one-take thing does do for the film is it lets you feel like you really are on this woozy, drunken, spiraling, out-of-control tour of late-night Berlin. You know, you're in this underground club, you stumble outside, and, you know, and it's, like, empty. The streets are, like, empty because it's, like, five in the morning, and then you go to a cafe or you go up, up to the rooftop and you they smoke a joint together and talk. And then they go to the cafe and it's, you know, it's starting to get light out. There's starting to be people on the streets. And you do kind of feel like you're getting a tour of this place. And it's, it is in a way like I feel like it's a, it's a similar conception of Berlin to Atomic Blonde. It's romantic but very lonely. It has this energy and excitement. But – that's only in certain places. In other places, it feels very empty and quiet, and you can meet new friends or you could meet horrible gangsters. Like, I, I don't know why. I just seem like they, they, these could almost be films set in the same cinematic universe or something. They're just very coherent in terms of their vision of Berlin. So it's not a movie that I absolutely adore. I've actually seen it twice, and I always do have problems. Both times I saw it, I had some problems with some of the plot twists, and I do kind of wonder the movie feels like it's ending and then suddenly it doesn't end and it continues for another like 20 minutes or so and i've always wondered if the movie ended where it feels like it's initially ending would it be a better movie would i like it more um but if you are a fan of technically innovative movies movies that really do go for broke in terms of you know as an exercise that also does tie into what the movie is about you know can we do this whole movie in a single take if you're into that sort of thing, that high-wire kind of filmmaking, I think you'll get a big kick out of this. Or if you just want to feel like what it's like to go dancing in Berlin at 4 a.m. and then become a bank robber, you should watch Victoria, which is available for rent. Uh, one of the other things about Victoria that is, I think, a a common theme in multiple movies that are about set in Berlin uh, is that it's about – uh, immigrants there or yes. expats there. Yes, very and true. That's that's a recurring theme is that it's this kind of international city and sometimes kind of a border city, mm-hmm. you know, this place that's very porous and that people come and go or kind of wash up in mm-hmm. looking for something new. Uh, and I'd say that's sort of the case in my second pick in that 
uh, you're never quite sure why either of its two main characters seems to be in Berlin. Neither of them are German, but uh, that's never like commented on. It's kind of incidental. Uh, and it never really feels like maybe all that important, given that much stranger things start happening. Uh, that film is Possession, the 1981 film from Andrei Zulovsky. Uh, we actually rec- we, we mentioned this on the last episode because Nat in Chicago had brought up that it is available on Mubi for $2.99. You can rent it. You don't have to have a Mubi subscription to do this. You can just pull up directly, put in your credit card, and rent the movie from them. Uh, and given that it's not been easy to see for a while, I would highly recommend you do this. It is really a singular and singularly disturbing movie in which the idea of Berlin as a, as a split dual city, uh, these two locations with a wall running down the middle seems to be really thematically important to the point where one of the most important locations, uh, not the kind of modernist housing complex in which the main couple lives, but this other this other dark old apartment where one of them kind of hides out is very pointedly right next to the wall. Every time you see it, you see the wall. So the film stars Isabella Johnny and Sam Neill as these two main characters, Anna and Mark, who are married and they live in Berlin and they are having relationship issues that start as soon as Mark uh, returns home from his mysterious trips that he goes on where he seems to be a spy. Berlin as well, the city of spies. Um, and his wife is ready to be done. Uh, and, and he is not. He, he wants to keep persuading her. He's heartbroken. He's anguished. He wants answers. Uh, she kind of uh, seems to be seeing someone else. She doesn't really want to tell him about it. And uh, something about this film, which is important to say, is even before we get to the really strange stuff, which involves a tentacle monster... And involves a scene in which Isabel Johnny has this seizure freak out in the middle of the German underground, the Berlin's uh, subway, and then seems to have a miscarriage out of her ears um, before that happens. What's the strange part? Yes. Uh, there is still both of these characters pitch their performances at a level that is so high that it seems deliberately intended to make it impossible to kind of think of them, either of them as kind of regular people living in the world. Um, they are both like go so big so quickly. There's a scene after Anna, uh, Anna is Johnny's character leaves for the first time in which Sam Neill like rolls around in bed and then picks up a phone and then, the camera holds on him for close to a minute as his face kind of crumples in anguish as he tries to say something into the phone and eventually just kind of says, ma, ma, ma. It's magnificent. The performances in this are so go for broke and huge. Uh, it, it, this whole movie, I think, is best described as it's like when someone drunkenly tries to tell you a story that makes no sense, but you understand the emotional truth of it. Specifically, it's someone telling you about this lengthy, painful breakup they went through in a way that is barely coherent, but you understand every bit of the emotional journey underneath it. Uh, and I think that like, you cannot describe in any literal sense what happens in this movie, especially once we start to get to the tentacle monster, which Anna may have... Uh, miscarried in the subway out of her ears, but also which she seems to be having sex with. 
uh, it is not the man that she's been having an affair with, but something else. And she seems to have an end goal. And then there's also acts of self-harm. There are uh, doppelgangers that show up. Uh, there's a private detective that gets hired. And at a certain point, trying to give any kind of literal explanation here is not just uh, not just impossible, but it feels really unnecessary. Because so much of the pain here is like just the pain of uh, getting having your heart broken and trying to find your way back into uh, the kind of arms and the good graces of someone who seems to be a totally different person. And, uh, and so much of this is both these two apartments uh, in particular, the one that the, the couple has been living in with their child, which is all of these kind of like uh, white walls and blue carpeting and bright, like it's, it's very modern. Uh, it's in this complex that is all kind of like brutalist design and straight lines. And then this other dark traditional apartment that is peeling, uh, peeling wallpaper and like weird little dark alleys and high ceilings. And, uh, they both are contained in Berlin, but they feel like they are in separate universes entirely. Um, so it's a great movie and like one that feels really specifically tied to its location. It feels like it couldn't be anywhere else. Uh, the kind of chilliness that you see, you pointed out that sometimes feels like it lingers around the city, mm. uh, when in its depictions on screen, it feels like entirely key to this movie, uh, which is like both really emotionally fraught and also a little chilly at the same time. So that is Possession. You can rent it on Mubi and uh, I would recommend you do. We're going to do something we haven't done for quite a while. We have a giveaway for I know. Can I win? You cannot win. Oh, well then I don't care. Yeah, well, sucks for you. Mm. Um, We have two bundles of I, Tanya and Get Out Blu-rays. Whoa. Yes. These kind of post-Oscar post-Oscar offerings for you. Uh, Both have, Oscar winners. Yeah, they are. And uh, I, Tanya is, uh, it's out on Blu-ray and DVD on March 13th. Mm-hmm. Get Out has already been available yes. on Blu-ray and DVD. So you could own a copy. So we have two, we're going to have two winners two, of both yes. movies. Exactly. Yes. All right. So, so you so, win a copy of I, Tanya and a copy of Get Out. Yes. But and not me, you said. Not I can't win. you. You can't win. This is, this is blatant anti-singerism here. Yeah, that's fine. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, the Blu-ray contains 40 minutes of exclusive bonus content. Which one? Uh, I, Tanya. Oh, okay. So uh, we're going to go with... you. Oh, by the way, in order to win this, you have to be in the U.S. or Canada. Uh, we're not shipping them out. The company that's shipping them out specifies U.S. or Canada. Okay, U.S. And or no Canada. And no P.O. boxes. So... If you are going to enter what we're going to ask you to do and you do not live in the U.S. or Canada or you have a P.O. box, just note that on there. Yes. Because we're going to just ask you for more listener recommendations. Yes. We're running a little low. on. It's been a while since we've piled up some listener recommendations. And uh, we always appreciate people who send them in. But in order to enter into this, into this, just send us an email at svu at filmspottingsvu.com and... Give us some stuff that you've streamed. It can be on any streaming service. It can be on rental. Something that you've liked uh, that you would recommend. Tell us about it a little bit. It doesn't have to be that long. Mm-hmm. And tell us where you found it. Right. 
And uh, yeah, and if you can confirm to us that you are in the U.S. or Canada, right, maybe just include your yes. your your city, your city and 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 state, yes, or province, I suppose, if Canada is okay, just so that we know that you are you know eligible here. Yes, yeah. Um, but we're happy to take uh, listener recommendations from anyone. Right, you just, just can't win. You, yeah, you just can't win. Sorry. Yes, sorry. Hey, but, I know how you feel because I can't win either. Yeah, no singer. I might allowed. as well. I might as well move out of the country because I can't even win. <laughs> Could move to Berlin. There you go. Be a spy. So my wife would be very happy about She's that. Thrilled about your new espionage career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, please. Is there send a deadline? Uh, we're gonna uh, call this by the next episode. Okay. So let's say have your uh, have your answers in by our next episode is coming out. Well, we'll on the be 27th. recording probably yeah, like the twenty yeah, fifth. So we'll be recording on the twenty fifth. So let's say you have to have it in by the twenty third. Perfect. By the end of day on fr- March twenty third. Uh, March twenty third, Friday. Send us every listener recommendation from the new from the United States and Canada and will we be will, eligible. We will draw two randomly, two winners, uh, and we'll email me. you, and we will congratulate you on the next podcast. All right, so there you go. Awesome. Send us your recs. Good luck. Uh, before we get to behind the eight ball, we're going to talk about one new movie that's in theaters at the moment. And here's the wrinkle, Allison. It's called A Wrinkle in Time. <sighs> that was bad. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Wrinkle in Time, the new film from Ava DuVernay. This is uh, based on the the children's classic science fiction novel by Madeline Langle. It's a beloved book. I definitely read it as a kid. I don't remember it that well. I have to say, it's I don't not... remember it that well either. I didn't go back and reread no, it. No, and yeah, this. and it certainly wasn't like one of the my favorite books as a kid. But I definitely read it. It is about a, a young girl searching in the cosmos for her missing scientist father. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, Reese Witherspoon, and Mindy Kaling all co-star as these magical, mystical beings that help guide the main character, uh, played by a young woman named Storm Reed, on her journey through the universe. Allison. Yes. What did you think of A Wrinkle in Time? I thought it was not entirely successful, but it was also kind of charmingly weird. It is certainly not like anything that typically gets aimed at children. Uh, I will say I watched it in a public screening. So all of the, the, the trailers before it were for like Hotel Trans, uh, Hotel Transylvania 3, by the way, it's on a cruise. Um, show dogs that, that one about talking dogs. Uh, <laughs> that one about talking. Oh, the one about talking dogs. Who, the talking dogs, including the police dog, who has, I think, go undercover as a show dog or something like that. No, that's not a real movie. That you can't trick me. Is a real you're movie. not going to trick me again. It's not a movie. Um, the Grinch, the new Grinch movie. Okay, that one's real. Which is definitely real. Yeah. And then, like, one or two other animated movies that was just like, uh, you know, fart jokes and probably mm-hmm. the play Smash Mouth All-Star. And it's a lot of like very famous people involved in these, just contributing their voices and probably getting paid an astonishing amount of money for it. Right. And compared to those, Wrinkle in Time, which is just this weird phantasmagoric fantasy journey in which children go off and save uh, a father from this evil blob of whatever um <laughs> and reese reese witherspoon transforms into a cabbage monster and uh, oprah's giant and you know like there's something just so odd about it that uh that i did appreciate even though i think that there's a lot about it that leans too hard at times into the inspirational oh. uh and the pop songs and this like it, it stretches really hard towards being uh like an affirmation and sometimes you're just like it's so baldly an affirmation that yeah. it's not yeah 
Yeah, it's, 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 as, it's as much an adaptation of, of, of classic sci-fi novels. It is some, like, Oprah's New Age self-help, Sure, you can do it, you are special book, which is a sentiment I believe in, but felt it was handled sort of was, indelicately it, yeah, in this film. It was very much, like, straightforwardly, like, we believe in you. Yes, I mean, the, the, the main character is told over and over and over again how great she is, how special she is. And I don't, you know, I think, that, that I think as an idea you know, teaching, you know, young women that they are special, just how they are. They don't need to do anything, be anything. I think that's a wonderful message. I just felt like in this movie it was handled so awkwardly and and fumblingly and, you know, like she has this love interest who, like, just at random points in the movie, it's just like, your hair is amazing. That's actually out of the book. Is that uh, out of the book? Yeah, Calvin just, like, kind of wanders into Meg's life, like, just... Bonding over her? Well, it just, like, is, like, as if he was summoned as, like, a love interest, like, conjured up, um, at least in that book. Well, then it's very faithful. Yes. And still very annoying and tedious. Yeah, it's very... I mean, that's, it's, there, this is supposedly a movie for tween age girls, and that is one of the biggest, most obvious touches of it, where it's just like yes. a devoted, adorable love interest. Hunky, <laughs> yes, super cute, non threatening, yeah. uh, handsome, incredibly adoring, uh, simple yes. <laughs> love interest. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not a movie that I, I, I hate, and uh, it's, it's certainly has its heart in the right place. I mean, the, like I said, the message that it is sending to its target audience, I think, is lovely. And if it resonates with some of that target audience, you know, all the better. I just think you could have, uh, I don't know, it, 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 there is a lot of stuff about it that feels very clunky and awkward. And, you know, as you said, like the pop music and just the general sort of plotting of it. And I'm, I, I, I know that the source material isn't the most sort of like breathlessly p- paced thing either, but just like the random way that they wander through th- through things and they show up somewhere and the the magical beings explain where they are and where they're going next and they'll say, "Well, we can't tesser there," which is how they jump from one place to the next, and they go, "We can't do that. We can't go there." And then the next second they're there and they're like, "Oh, we did it anyway. Okay." And also now we're we're leaving. Goodbye. And it's just like they just constantly sort of make up rules as they go along. And it, it, is, a, it is a movie that I found very disappointing because I, I do think Ava DuVernay is a talented filmmaker. I loved Selma. And I just thought – just didn't quite get there for me. I mm-hmm. think uh, – you know, it's nothing nothing terrible. It's just underwhelming. It just didn't quite click. It sure. doesn't quite click. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny we've talked about this off the podcast, but it is – a for for like a hundred million dollar movie, its aims are so modest, and there's something very ironic about the fact that like all of the online discourse about it in all directions is so overwhelming. Like it yeah. feels like it has in some ways buried the movie. No one mm. is actually looking at the movie itself, right? Because Ava DuVernay is the first uh, African American woman to direct a, a movie you of this the scale, size, right? the size, and so it's almost like a referendum, or it's like a big deal that it's even happened in the first place. And I certainly don't think she's incapable. She's certainly no. capable. It's just this movie just didn't quite turn out. It's right. just, you know, and that happens to lots of people, no right. matter who they are. Right, right. But it's just, yeah, it's um, it's been quite a weekend of online discourse Ugh. about this movie, let's just say, <laughs> in many directions. Yes. Including, like, in the other direction, like, a kind of weirdly gloating, like, Fox News stories aggregating bad reviews and, like, Ugh. just, anyway... The movie itself. Let the, is movie, the movie itself be yes. a movie. Let the movie be a movie. Yes, uh, we should make T-shirts that say that. Actually, <laughs> be a good idea. All right, let's get to behind the eight ball. We wrap up the podcast by giving you some uh, new movies or TV shows, I suppose, that are available on streaming. 
we share some listener recommendations that you guys have sent to us at our email address, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. Remember, for the next couple of weeks, if you send us one, you will be entered in that contest to win those Blu-rays. And we also give you one film chosen by my lists on Netflix. Allison, who's going first this week? Why don't you go first? All right. All right. Give me three new releases then. Okay. First up on Hulu is The Square, the latest film from director Ruben Ostlin, whose previous movie was Force Majeure, a movie that I loved. This one, I have to confess, I was definitely not as much of a fan of. It's about a, a guy who runs an art museum, and it is more broadly about the art world and the nature of art and the nature of being a good person in society and what that means and how all of those ideas intersect. So in some ways it is – it's of a piece with force majeure. It is about sort of like what makes someone a good person? How are we supposed to behave and how, how do we live in this world? But I just thought that the previous film did that with a bit more grace and a bit more, uh, sort of very dark humor still as Academy award nominees for best foreign language film go from this year compared to on body and soul, (laughs) the square is it's blow up. It's, it's the rules of the game. Wow. It is, uh, it is eight and a half. It is every movie combined. <sighs> Sorry, I couldn't resist the opportunity to do that. So that's The Square on Hulu. Next up also on Hulu is Dirty Dancing, the 1987 classic about a young and naive Jewish teenager who discovers erotic dancing mm. in the arms of Patrick Swayze's Johnny Castle at a Catskills resort in 1963. As a as a youngster, I was not a fan of this movie. I was forced to watch it. I have vivid memories of being forced to watch it as a child on playdates uh, and uh, sleepovers, things like that, and just hating it. Last summer was actually the 30th anniversary of Dirty Dancing. This movie is 30 years old. And it just so happened that the 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 day of the anniversary, I was at, I was on vacation at a resort that had a uh, like a little private mini movie theater and a collection of Blu-rays, including Dirty Dancing. So I watched it on the 30th anniversary. And it's kind of a great movie. Mm-hmm. I, I'm uh, I'm man enough to say now that, that that is true. Jennifer Grey is wonderful as Baby. The dancing is very erotic and uh, sublime. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's some interesting stuff about class in this movie as well. So, I yes, I am going to be big enough to say I was wrong when I was, I don't know, 10 years old and uh, Dirty Dancing, if you have not seen it, is now available on Hulu. And last up, available on Amazon Prime and Hulu both, is Aftermath, a recent film from Arnold Schwarzenegger, giving one of his better and least Arnold-like performances. He is not an action hero. He does not say any one-liners. Instead, he is a father whose life is destroyed when his family is killed in a plane crash. Uh, Arnold's character blames the air traffic controller who was on duty at the time, played by Scoot McNary. Uh, he may have been responsible for the crash. And so Arnold sort of sets out to find him and get revenge. And this is not like your typical revenge film or action film. It is bleak. It is dark. It is sort of wrestling with those ideas as opposed to being like a movie where a guy goes on like an angry kill spree, but he's the hero. And I thought it was actually, in that sense, a very interesting movie. And it's also a pretty interesting piece of this body of work that Schwarzenegger has been making in recent years since his divorce, where he's making movie after movie about these miserable, lonely old men who've lost their families and are trying and usually failing to redeem themselves. Um 
And I continue to find that a very interesting thing that he is doing. Um, if you liked Maggie, which was another very dark Schwarzenegger non-action movie that he made recently, I think you'd um, like this as well. It is Aftermath. It is available on Amazon Prime and Hulu. All right. Give me two listener recommendations. All right. Our first comes from a longtime listener, Paul in Adelaide, Australia, who writes, I know recently Matt was lamenting on Twitter that he doesn't watch enough hilariously terrible films. Well, do I have a film to remedy that? SPF 18 is a teen drama currently streaming on Netflix that has to be seen to be believed. So amateurishly made that you would swear it's a student film, except that it somehow features an impressive roster of 80s classics on the soundtrack, as well as performances by Molly Ringwald, Rosanna Arquette, Pamela Anderson, Keanu Reeves, and is narrated by Goldie Freakin' Hawn. And boy, the narration sounds like it was written by a 12-year-old. I can only imagine Goldie's reaction reading this drivel. Boy, oh boy, this sounds like something. Paul writes, this film deserves to sit beside the room and birdemic, and I urge you to give it a go. Wow, that is some recommendation. Thank you, Paul. Uh, if you want to follow Paul on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at Return of Smith SPF 18. I, I'm going to add it to my my list momentarily. Thank you, Paul. Our next recommendation comes from Tom in Brooklyn. And Tom writes, my recommendation is available on Filmstruck. Goetz Spielman's slow burn crime drama. Allison, is it revanche? Revanche? I, sure. I would say revanche. revanche. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Which was nominated for the 2009 Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. It follows the struggles of a man who oversees prostitutes at a brothel, weaving his pain through the lives of the women he encounters as he tries to just stay afloat. The film, which takes place in the gorgeous Austrian countryside, develops its characters in shades of gray and shows how the weight of their secrets threatens to unravel their lives so that is a recommendation from tom in brooklyn that is revanche on filmstruck thank you tom if you want to follow tom on letterboxd he is tom v if you want to follow me on letterboxd i'm i think i'm super pulse on there so thank you tom all right and give me one chosen blindly from your my list yeah you gave me the deuce numero dos and right now on my 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 list on Netflix, that is Ugly Delicious. This is a new Netflix series. The description they have on there says, All the flavor, none of the BS. Star chef David Chang leads friends on a mouthwatering cross-cultural hunt for the world's most satisfying grub. Uh, I'm a David Chang fan of his restaurants. What was the – he also hosted one season of that PBS show that's on Netflix. Is it The Mind of a Chef? Mind of a Chef, I think. Which I've yeah. watched and was good. I enjoyed that as well. Uh, you know, I'm a big cooking show fan. Um, so I saw this was – I think this is a brand new show. It was just yeah. recently added. So when, I, when that popped up on there, I definitely added it. One that um, in the event eventually that my wife and I do get to start watching TV together, you know. Um, never going to happen. It's never going to happen. But eventually if it does, this is definitely one I could see us uh, watching together because we, we – I think we watched The Mind of a chef with the when the first baby was really really little super newborn and not sleeping and that was something that we binge watched um and we enjoyed that so yeah ugly delicious the new show on netflix with david chang allison yes are you ready i am okay let's start with three new releases on streaming okay first up new to netflix is gook this is the 2017 film directed by justin chan who also stars in it as one of two Korean-American brothers uh, running their family's shoe store 
in uh, kind of a neighborhood in, around the L.A. area uh, on the day of the 1992 L.A. riots. And it is a, a kind of I mean, they're not like it, it was probably one of the most it, the most notable Asian-American release last year. And it's a movie that I think in a really interesting ways grapples with. Asian, the Asian American experience, not against a backdrop of kind of assimilation into whiteness, which is true for a lot of Asian American films, contemplating uh, identity against this assumption of whiteness. It is about uh, being Asian American in neighborhoods that are mostly Latino and black and about uh, their kind of relationship, these two brothers' relationship to their neighborhood, uh, which is fraught, but uh, in many ways. So it's a, it's a neat little movie. And I was excited to get to see it at Sundance last year. It's Gook and it's available on Netflix, available on Amazon, documentary called I Am Another You from Nanfu Wang, who is a Chinese filmmaker whose last film was Hooligan Sparrow, uh, about a human rights activist in, in China. And this film is set in the U.S. Uh, uh, Nanfu Wang was, met this guy, this kind of like drifter in Florida, who she kind of fell in love with as a subject of a film. And she follows him and then kind of ends up following him back to the family that he has in Utah and creating this more complicated portrait of a person that is, I am another you. It is on Amazon. And finally, also new to Amazon is Barracuda. Uh, this is Ooh, a yes. Barracuda. There you go. Uh, it is a thriller by way of a family drama uh, directed by Jason Cortland and Julia Halpern. And it stars Alison Tolman uh, of the Fargo series. Alison Tolman. Nice. Uh, as a, child of a famous but also kind of uh clearly like feckless country star uh who meets this woman played by sophie reed who claims to be the half sister she's never met who just kind of turns up at her doorstep and then uh the movie just puts you in some really unsettling places it's really hard to figure out where it's going and i was really intrigued by it i didn't think it entirely landed its ending but there's a lot of very unpredictable, uneasy stuff in this movie. It's Barracuda, and it is on Amazon. All right. How about two listener recommendations? Okay. First up, we've got one from Jared in Oklahoma who writes, uh, Hey, guys. As hey. My, as my six-year-old daughter and I were wrapping Christmas gifts, Aww. we decided to turn on a movie, and the old mm. Babes in Toyland with Laurel and Hardy popped Ooh. up on Amazon Prime. I had not seen it since I was her age and decided to give it a try. I did not expect it to keep her attention all the way through, but she stuck with it. The animal actors, slapstick humor, and stop-motion animation kept her engaged to the end. But the real reason I'm recommending it is the bizarre ending. Up until the last 15 minutes, it is pretty standard Laurel and Hardy fare. Then, uh, for the finale, there is a war of two armies that involves decapitations and the desecration of the dead. Wow. It culminates what a swerve. Ca- yeah. It culminates with the cast destroying the set. Reading up that it was a Hal Roach production helped make some sense of the chaos, but it really is a sight to behold. Uh, keep up all the good work. Uh, so that is Babes in Toyland, recommended from Jared. Thank you for that. I have never seen Babes in Toyland, mm-hmm. and uh, that makes me really want to see this one. Uh, and then we have a recommendation from David in Reseda, California, who writes, Given Allison's professed love for Cube 2 Hypercube... <laughs> Yeah. That is a thing. It is a thing. Not making that up. Uh, I figured I could recommend The Cube on Filmstruck. 
from writer and director Jim Henson. This 1969 short was made for the NBC Experiment in Television series just prior Mm. to the debut of Sesame Street the same year. The cube finds a nameless man trapped inside a familiar-looking cube-like cell. Uh, where he is visit- visited by various nightmare people, including an insidious rock band, accusatory doctors, a fellow prisoner, and worst of all, comedians. Mm-hmm. The film touches on identity, the unreliability, unreliability of religion, spatial reality, and many more in its 54 minutes. Highly recommended for fans of Don Hertzfeld. And we are both fans of mm-hmm. Don Hertzfeld. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a great recommendation, David. Both of those recommendations are very good. Thank you for those. All right. And how about one film chosen blindly by number from your my list? You gave me number five. And uh, number five, we both ended up with like Netflix reality fair, uh, is Darren Brown, The Push. Do you know what this is, Matt? I do not know what this is. Okay, so Darren Brown is a magician and mentalist. Ooh. But he, mostly what he does is these are these incredibly cruel sounding social experiments. Wonderful. And uh, this one in particular, here's the Netflix description. Over the course of one night, during the fictitious launch of a charity called Push, Brown is shown attempting to use social coercion to convince one member of the public, Chris Kingston, who doesn't know he's being manipulated oh, or filmed, no. to push another person off the roof to oh. their apparent death. What? Yeah. So they have all of these actors, everyone's an actor except for this poor person. Oh my god! Who they like try and manipulate into uh, murdering someone or thinking he murdered someone. Uh, so this is like Darren Brown's specialty is doing specials like this. Is, is uh, making not, people uh, not feel always like this scenario, but like different ones to show what social pressure can like lead people to do. I see. Uh, and I think that this special is just an acquisition. It was like in the UK last year and then Netflix bought it. But I definitely watched the trailer and was like, this sounds phenomenally mm. awful. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> it does sound pretty interesting. Yes. And also monstrous. Yes, exactly. Just what I like. Yeah. Uh, so that's Darren Brown, the push. Wow. Okay. Let's get to our listeners choice options for our next episode. And we have decided for our next episode, that what we were going to do is pick a trio of films from Filmstruck. Filmstruck recently announced um, this new, I don't know what we call it, initiative, uh, I suppose, called TCM Select. Yeah, it basically came down to uh, Warner Brothers used to have the Warner streaming, Warner Archive streaming. Yes. Where you could access a lot of their back catalog and uh, no one subscribe to that service essentially and so they killed it right and they they are putting all of those movies in some form via this i think this program yeah onto filmstruck right so the idea is that these are like classic hollywood films yeah from the warner library right from the warner library because tcm it's all it's all one big corporate entity anyway like the octo the squid or the octopus in possession that's basically (laughs) what it is in business form but so they've you know this is a big thing and they announced they got a lot of a press about it and so we thought well this could be kind of fun instead of uh doing something new let's 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 look at what's on there and maybe we'll do um three different options that are available on this new tcm selects thing on filmstruck so option number one is the thin man from 1934 directed by ws van dyke Uh, I will read you uh, some of the plot description from Filmstruck. Probably the best-loved detective film ever made, and certainly one of the most popular. The Thin Man teamed William Powell and Myrna Loy, who had first displayed their on-screen chemistry this the year before in Manhattan Melodrama. Nick Charles, played by Powell, is a retired detective who has married wealthy Nora Charles, played by Myrna Loy. 
and now intends to devote himself to looking after her business interests and doing some serious drinking. But over the course of the film, they get drawn into a new mystery while also drinking a lot and having a lot of charming banter, and their dog is adorable. And uh, it is one of certainly the most beloved uh, uh, films of that period and one of the most beloved detective films ever. They made a whole bunch of them, but really the first one is considered the the masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. Have you seen it? Yes. Okay. So we've both seen it, but it's been a long time. Yes. And then of course we'll have to drink as much as they do. I was going to say like, that would be a good theme maybe is, is to do movies that involve drinking, not necessarily about alcoholism, Mm, but more, maybe more drinking, more positive portrayals of alcohol, perhaps (laughs) functional alcoholism, alcohol, the way that these two charming people. Yes. Look, (laughs) if there's one thing I can get behind right now in my life, it is drinking to survive. Okay, (laughs) Allison. So let's, let's not judge. So that is going to be option number one, the thin man. Available on Filmstruck. Option number two, and I'm just going to say this is the one I hope wins. We'll Me see too. What it does uh, is now Voyager, directed by Irving Rapper and uh, starring Betty Davis and Paul Heinrich and Claude Rains, and uh, about I guess you could say about the wonders of therapy, <laughs> or at least staying in a sanatorium, which sounds great to me. Frankly, I would love to stay in a sanatorium, mm. uh, a sanitarium. It's uh, either one. Betty Davis as a kind of repressed, oppressed spinster. Uh, whose tyrannical mother, played by Gladys Cooper, is uh, has always kind of like emotionally abused her and berated her. And then uh, she's sent off to the sanitarium where, uh, removed from her mother, she blossoms into a whole new person, decides to take a cruise and meets an intriguing man with some complications ensuing. And it's, you know, a kind of famous platform for Betty Davis and this uh, kind of transformative role and it's, uh, you know, a movie that's kind of famously also uh, a little bittersweet, which I, I, I like. So um, that would be our second one. Now Voyager. I don't know. We, we could do a lot of things about this. In fact, I think that maybe even doing something about movies about therapy, even if it's not like if it's a more kind of modern and literal form of therapy than this. We could just unburden ourselves to unburden each other. Ourselves. We could play therapist to one another. Yes. Would you not like to listen to? We could drink and also <laughs> just unburden <laughs> for a very special episode of Film Spotting SVO. Yeah. In yeah. which we slur our problems about our personal lives. <laughs> um, for that, <laughs> vote for number two, now Voyager. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Of the, of the three options, right. Of the three options, that's the only one I haven't seen. So that's the one that I'm uh, rooting for. I'm not making any secret of it this time. Option number three, also available on Filmstruck, like all these movies is Cat People from 1942, directed by Jacques Tourneur. Here's the description from Filmstruck. The first of the horror movies producer Val Luton made for RKO redefined the genre by leaving its most frightening terrors to its audience's imagination. Simone Simon stars as a Serbian emigre in Manhattan who believes that because of an ancient curse, any physical intimacy with the man she loves, Kent Smith, will turn her into a feline predator. Luton, a consummate producer, auteur, who oversaw every aspect of his projects, found an ideal director in Jacques Tourneur, a chioscuro stylist, adept at keeping viewers off-kilter with startling compositions and psychological innuendo. And yes, Cat People is one of the most famous films in that Val Luton run of horror films from RKO. Um... Famously, the the cat creature you don't see a whole lot of at all. It's kept off screen, kind of like Jaws, and you're sort of invited to imagine 
what that creature is. But yeah, very famous horror film. It's a great. Uh, this one I've seen. I've seen more than once actually. It's a great classic Hollywood horror film. Um, Allison, though, you have not seen it. I have not seen it. I think I've seen the Paul Schrader. That's like, yes, yeah, Paul Schrader remade it. I have. Yeah. I've never seen the remake. Yeah, uh, in fact, but I have not seen this one. It. Uh, but we could potentially do. Um, Movies about cat people, for sure. There's Absolutely. a lot of those. Or we, those. I, I mean, we could do like more of a sort of a, a classic Hollywood horror episode. That would be great. Yeah, that, there's that. plenty of options, and that I think could be a very rich subject to discuss as well. So that's option number three, cat people. And we could definitely, I definitely know what the song would be uh, in <laughs> the, the song in that episode. Now, I won't spoil it for you, but um, the, uh, the, the singer has been mentioned on this episode. Cat people. Uh, available on Filmstruck. All right. Well, now it's up to you. Tell us which of these streaming options we should review on the next episode by voting in the poll that's at the bottom of the page over at filmspottingsvu.com. We'll also post links to the poll on our social media feeds. We're on Facebook and Twitter at filmspottingsvu. You've got until Monday, March 19th at noon to vote. Uh, that is when we will announce the winner. Give me a week if you want to watch it in advance. For our next episode comes out on Tuesday, March 27th. Also, don't forget to send in your listener recommendations to uh, enter in our contest, our giveaway. Uh, you can send those to svu at filmspottingsvu.com. Also send all notes of praise only. svu <laughs> at filmspottingsvu.com. Yep. And in addition to being able to vote at filmspottingsvu.com, it's also where you can find our episode archive, complete with links to where you can stream or rent all the titles we mention on the show. The Filmspotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Find more of Vince's work at vincevandal.bandcamp.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more recommendations and the review on Filmstruck you've picked. Until then... You can always find both of us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you should definitely follow the show at Filmspotting SVU, where we drop links throughout the day to things that are new to streaming that you might want to know about. For Filmspotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. <laughs>